0: Back from a short, self-imposed hiatus, this is Nut News, and joining me on the show is self-proclaimed Nutaholic and COO at Select Harvest USA, Cheryl Wheeler. Cheryl, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. So, full disclosure, um, unlike perhaps, you know, maybe an AA meeting, um, I have no intention of helping you with uh, your infliction with uh, with nuts and, and almonds in particular, so I hope you know this is not a therapy session, Cheryl.
1: Sometimes I need a therapy session in this business.
0: Well, I think uh, we all do, but you know we're going to do it in a, in a different type of therapy. We're we're talking almonds, we're talking nuts, and that's what we're going to do along those lines. We're ending harvest, and harvest, you know, when it's out in the field, is a very visual thing. You know, you have lots of equipment. There's a buzz of activity. Nuts are being shaken. There's dust everywhere. But we're kind of we're pretty much done with that at this point in the season. But I know. You aren't in the facility. Um, there's lots of activity for you to do. And I, I wanted to highlight that. I wanted to talk about that because it's a little bit out of sight, out of mind sometimes. But before we, we do your part, Cheryl, um, I was just kind of hoping you could fill us in a little bit. Um, for those that maybe aren't as familiar with almond harvesting, when an almond is ready to harvest, what happens? And what are some of the steps that are occurring before you're receiving it here at Select Harvest?
1: Well, we have a whole team of field reps that represent Select Harvest throughout the state of California. And so they're in close contact with all of our growers. They're in communication with the haulers and shellers that service those growers. They're in communication with our receiving team, logistics team here. There's a whole host of projects that go on. We probably spend about 45 days, if not longer cleaning all the wood bins pre-cleaning all of them taking out the staples from last year vacuuming them out cleaning them getting them ready to go out to the haulers and shellers with the liners there's our purchasing department is purchasing supplies such as the liners the zip ties making sure that can get us through the whole season and then we're probably start delivering empty bins the end of august to the haulers that we are working with and we're getting ready to receive here this year on our sizers we did some major upgrades so we put in a new scan master to upgrade our form material sort right at the sizing for all of our high-end confectionery customers so that was about a two month project and then on our sizer two which is a little bit bigger of a sizer we redid the whole platform and foundations because it was just time it had shook itself to death
0: (laughs) Well, you see, you're, you're already getting into the weeds on, on what I wanted to talk about here. I mean, there, there's a constant hive of activity going on in our facility. And whether you're, if you're a grower, I think you, you have some understanding of that. But if you're not, whether you're in the industry or not, the visual piece of it all is that harvest. You're talking about bins. You're talking about sizing. And I want to get into that be a little bit more high level here Cheryl. so it's on the tree it's getting shook off it's on the ground and you see this activity it's getting picked up and you have all this dust and leaves and holes and shells and you know i think conceptually we understand that that's going to go to a facility but what's that first step when it gets off the field where is it going and what's happening to that product is it coming to us or is it going somewhere else i mean you mentioned holer and sheller so is that the next step
1: well, at Select Harvest, we have two facilities. We have our Orlin In-Shell facility, which a lot of our In-Shell goes through Heart Farms, the neighbor of Select Harvest. And they process it where they just take the holes off. And it is an In-Shell product destined for uh, mainly India on the non-parole and the independence variety. And there's a rush for that. It's all timing and timing of the market. And then on the kernels here at Turlock facility, we only receive kernel forms. So then that goes through a hauler and sheller. A lot of our hauler and shellers, we probably work through, I don't know, maybe 30 throughout the state. And that's selected by the grower. And we don't have recommendations for that. But the way that the hauler and shellers work is that really can dictate the quality for the grower, particularly in terms of chip and scratch, their for material. So we like the growers to select the hauler and sheller they want to work with because ultimately the grower is going to get paid on our premium and D-deck schedule, in which chip and scratch means a lot.
0: All right. So that's interesting, right? So your point about the quality of the nut, there's processes that are occurring all along the way. You're picking those almonds up and you're going through that hole or shell, or it's, it's going through mechanized pieces. If you think about you know, an old you know, old-school, like, nutcracker. Uh, you know, I don't know if, if anyone out there's done this. You know, I grew up in households where we, we do that during the, the holiday season. And it, it can be hard, even just in a hand crack to not, like, just completely smash that nut. I think that makes a lot of sense to me that those steps before you get that brown skin almond ready to eat, or at least in a form that's edible, that there's concern and different methods about how you can get that and get that in a high-quality but I, I guess what I'm kind of thinking of now is, okay, so it's gone through the holer and sheller, and this is the point where those brown skin almonds are coming to us. And to your point about how those growers are being paid, how do we determine that? So the, a bin of almonds comes into our facility from a holer and sheller, uh, and again, it could be coming from any of those 30 that you mentioned. What happens? How do we determine how we're paying our growers?
1: It's a lot of manual labor, Ellen. <laughs> It is all dictated or all done under the marketing order, the USDA. We have trained staff that have been certified by the USDA, and it is about a five-foot probe with five slots in it that goes down the center of the bin and pulls up a homogenous sample throughout that bin. And according to the USDA receiving guidelines and programs, if a grower delivers 44,000 pounds or 10,000 pounds, there's a certain amount of weight of samples that has to be collected for each grower and lot that is delivered. And that is all done with a sample from every single bin delivered. It's extreme labor intense if you think about the gentleman or the the lady probing that bin, getting on top of it and sticking that probe all the way down to the bottom to get the best sample they can to make it fair for both select harvest and the grower.
0: Is that that big kind of like javelin looking thing that I've seen out in, you know, out out in our dock? Is that, is that what? Yeah. Wow. Okay. So bins come in, how many bins might, might be being processed at a, a, at a single time? I mean, I've seen these trucks come in. There's, there's more than one bin, right?
1: Yeah. No. So we try to process one truck at a time, but there is kind of a simile line process that's going on out there at any given time. You could have three, four, I've been out there where you could see seven or eight trucks lined up. We work with veteran drivers that are really good about, they'll park, they'll line up, they untarp, or in in the case of no rain, they'll unnet. We do require netting on all of our product coming in from the haulers. So they'll unnet it, takes a little bit of time. They'll start unstrapping and then they go, they pull in. We have two forklift drivers, one on each side, pulling them down, keeping it by lot, And then another team coming in and probing right behind them. So there's a lot of coordination that goes into that. And our receiving staff consists of about seven people. They're in sync with each other. It's like a well-tuned dance.
0: So when we we take these probes, you know, it makes me feel confident in what we're doing that it is, you know, dictated by the USDA and their' there's standards for it. But what are those parameters that we're looking for? I mean, you mentioned chip and scratch. Is that the only thing that we're judging the quality of the product coming in? And is that how we're paying the, the growers?
1: There's a, a series of things that happen. We have a uh, lady from our QC that's been with us for, well, I think over 12 years now and she looks at all the incoming. So we're looking right off the top for problems. Do we have moisture? Do we have mold? Do we have infestation? High levels of foreign material? Anything that would be a food safety concern or something that needs to be mitigated, if she sees that, it's probed for the USDA and set aside. And then the sample probing, what we're looking for is the USDA grading perimeters. So the USDA grading perimeters are based on dissimilar, doubles, chip and scratch, form materials, split and broken, other defects and serious defects. We grade it just like we do when we sell it. And that's why the idea when the growers deliver the product is that Select Harvest would have to do as minimal processing as possible. Because remember, as you process the almonds, every step it goes through, you're going to maybe take off some of that skin of that almond and create more white. In the very visual sensitive markets, if you can imagine producing an almond in a, in a widget, that's what they want to see. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be brown. There's got to be no defect on that almond. And sometimes it's very daunting for the sales team to explain it is a product of nature. There is going to be some less than perfect almonds, but particularly the white on the almond, whether it be the chip and scratch, split and broken, when a customer looks at it, all they look at is they're seeing not brown, they they see the white.
0: Yeah. And to clarify that, I think, you know, you mentioned defects, but I um, want to just clarify that a defect is really just a deviation from what you were describing and what I might describe as like that Instagram almond where it's brown, it's perfectly uniform, it's always whole, there's no white. It, it's just that sea of uniform perfection. Yeah. And when we say defect, that doesn't, I mean, there might be a few instances, but for the most part, that's not a food safety or a food quality issue. It's just a deviation from visual. And do I understand that correct?
1: And that is correct. I mean, nothing is a, none of the perimeters are a food safety issue. I mean, that's a whole nother realm of our due diligence here.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that's right. And and I guess um, you know from a USDA perspective, right? The, these different parameters would maybe indicate different potential uses for the almonds. Again, you mentioned your your visual market. If you're selling it as a whole almond to a visual market, you you're, you want that pretty. But if you're putting it into a confection, or if you're going to coat it with something, there's a whole different set of parameters that are maybe more specific or more desired for those specific uses, right? So that that's kind of what we're what we're doing when we talk about grading and understanding the different parameters.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that's why I, I know Select Harvest is known for a heavy D deck schedule, particularly on the chip and scratch, because there is no machine or equipment that could put that skin back on the almond. Honestly, the USDA grading was established in March of 1997. And when you look at all the technologies and equipment that has evolved since 1997, and we get this feedback from our customers too, you may consider the current grading perimeters a little antiquated. I mean, it allows up to 10% chip and scratch on a Supreme But to be honest with you, the customers don't want 10% chip and scratch. Your market has moved more towards a extra number one, which is 5% or less of chip and scratch. And then you get those visually sensitive markets that you, and those are the markets that are growing and that we need support on with these 3 billion or 2.6 billion pound crops. We need all markets to buy almonds. And so if we could just, and that's why the hullers and shellers is so important, is is they're the ones that dictate the chip and scratch on the almonds by the speed that they run it.
0: Yeah. You know, a grower can have, I mean, they're effectively perfect almonds coming off the off the tree. I mean, they haven't been processed. So, you know, how could they be anything else? I mean, there's, there's bug damage and stuff like that, I suppose. But uh, that, that's a really good point about. Why we feel it's so important that the growers have that opportunity to choose and to work with the holder that that they feel is going to give them the best result. Uh, absolutely, great. So we probe these. We have a great understanding. That's what we're paying the the grower off of. And now that we have the grade, we know what we can sell, right?
1: Yeah. So, and that's why it's a very interesting. And this year, I have struggled with it. Is we talk about this independence variety that is up and comers, been around and now seems to be a major player. And this year in receiving, you know, if you think about a handler and that's selling nuts, we come into harvest. Typically, the industry will come in to harvest between 20 and 25% sold. And when you're looking at that, it means that you have August, you have September commitments on the books of new crop. And it's very interesting to me, what I see kind of changing is it's not really, I mean, obviously the in market is of its own in that it's always going to have that pressure of non or independence. And that really heavily depends on the Diwali holiday for India, which this year it all had to come out of old crop. But in the domestic market, particularly what I am seeing is more pressure on our California varieties. All our upfront sales and all of our heavy commitments, particularly for second half September, early October, is for Butte Padres and the Californias, And that's because they are going to get covered with chocolate. And then everybody's pushing for the holiday demand. The problem that I have come up against this year is that this independence variety has grown so much and it doesn't meet the needs of the confectionaries. I'm seeing the Butte Padres sit and stockpile about three to four weeks longer than I normally would see it sitting in the stockpile from the haulers and shellers. Usually, you know, non-pearl is the first variety to come off. And then we used to get some buttes that would come in right after that, particularly from our southern growing region. This year, it's been heavily delayed. And I think the reason why is we've got this new variety independence of good quantity that the haulers and shellers are moving right off the Uh, non and into the independence, which has actually put our Butte Padre and California variety receipts here at the handler standpoint, not until the first part of October, when we used to have that maybe the second week of September. So I've been really struggling with that this year.
0: Well, and I'm glad you talk about the different varieties, because when I started um, in the industry, and there may very well be people listening to this podcast that that are newer, maybe not as you know, experienced with it, and um, which is fine. And that's great. That's what this podcast is about. It's about understanding things. And the point about varieties, it really goes hand in hand with with grading, right? We talked about how the different parameters within a grading can influence what that end use of the product might be. And as, as you point out, that's really the same thing with variety. They have different qualities and different parameters that make them more suited for different uses, as you mentioned.
1: Let's not forget about the price points, Alan.
0: Well, I mean, it goes right hand in hand, right? Your different markets, your different uses, and, and yeah. this is your point about brown skin almonds. There's no machine to to put that back on, and that's why that's one of the highest uh, the, the highest price point commodity buckets is because it's a limited amount, and there really isn't any other replacements. As you go further on down the line, there's potentially some. Flexibility in your end use to to go from one variety to another or one specification to another, different parameters might not be as difficult to achieve because you have some flexibility. So you're absolutely right about pricing, but again, let's go back to what what, what's happening in the facility, right? So you know you're receiving these products in, you're receiving different varieties, you're receiving different grades, and you're starting to build you know a set of inventory, a set of of product that you. You know, you know what you have, and I was trying to set you up with this in this last question because I know the answer to it. But just because we know what has come in from from the field and from our growers, from their holders, that doesn't mean the product's ready to sell, right? Oh no! So let's walk through some of those extra steps. So now we've received the product, we've received different grades, different varieties. What are we continuing to do in our facility to? Enable the sales team to market almonds.
1: Well, I think you know the grower. We have the incoming USDA grade at this point, and the grower knows, or we know what the growers do, uh, what they're going to get paid. And from that point, the bins are sealed up, and they are put into a bulk fumigation. We have two fumigation chambers. Each of them have the capacity of 500 bins each. It's about a three-day process. We fumigate them with perfume, and then they go from there straight to the sizer. So we have two sizing facilities at Select Harvest.
0: Well, if you're looking for a visual or an analogy on, on fumigation out there, I kind of equate it to, you know, like a fumigation of of your whole house, right? Um, I mean, we're not using tarps, but if you want to think of like like a volume, where this whole big space and we're fumigating the whole thing at that one given time, to your point on that multi-day process, you know, you have to get it in there, you have to let it do its thing, but then you have to let it dissipate and become safe again. So we fumigate and we fumigate for the, the same reason you'd fumigate your house. Um, you're, you're making sure that we don't have, any pest issues so that when we do the storage, we're not involved in that risk. So then you mentioned sizing. So walk us through that and explain why that's important, Cheryl.
1: So again, it's a fine dance, particularly right now, trying to cover all of our confectionery companies over the holidays. It's as soon as these varieties are coming in that we're looking for. It goes to the fumigation chamber. We're monitoring how many pounds are in there, what varieties coming out, and how many, uh, if that's going to fill the capacity on our sizers. So we'll get on these big runs, maybe 250, 300,000 or more of these varieties. We have two sizing facilities, which is extremely nice and a luxury added to select harvest about 10 years ago. If you think about needing these different varieties and only having one sizer. That was a real struggle. But long story short, we have two sizing facilities that are going on two varieties. That way, maybe we can stay on non parel and go to California and hit our needs there. So it goes through it goes through gravity, and it goes through a distoner, and it through a foreign material sore, and then it goes across a series of screens, which it drops by the size. In each of the bins, we have those probes that we talked about for the sampling in we get a sample from the bottom of the bin to the top of the bin as it fills up. And then when that is full, we pull the sample and we run a 500 gram sample through an automated grading system. We currently use Cucify. We have three on site that we do for all of our incoming sized product, all of our sized product. And then that inventory automatically goes right into our operating system from the QCIFI. That information is fed into our operating system. So me in production assigning inventory, I see the data that's available live. Uh, Our sales team could be anywhere in the world and see the inventory that we currently have available. We're just taking it and processing it as soon as we can.
0: So there's two things that I wanted to just touch a little bit more on. There's a cleaning step that's happening here too. So there's still things that need to get picked out after the holer and sheller.
1: Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So, I mean, if you consider we have one whole side of our facility, which the two sizes are on is what we consider pre-processing. And so that is just what it is. It's pre-processing. We find some interesting things. I know the industry has evolved with foreign material, but we still get some sprinkler heads, some PVC plastic, glass, rocks, metal, that come through on the sizer. So that's our first point to try to capture all that to keep the form and toil from running downstream.
0: Well I mean it makes a lot of sense if it's still in there you want to get it out. Yeah. Um, so I mean that and again that that makes a lot of sense. So then on on, on the sizing, help me understand that. I mean I know that varieties Butte Padre might be smaller than a non prol as an example or a different shape which I'm thinking might be related to, to size. But is there really that much variation within a given variety where sorting by size would actually have an impact in – because I'm assuming we're doing that for the end the end user, but is there really that much variance in what we're receiving where that's that's necessary?
1: Uh, Yeah, on your, let's just say like on your non-pro, which everybody is most familiar with, it can range from a size 1820. And that's 18 to 20 kernels per ounce, all the way down to a 4050. And so depending on what that customer's application is for the product, for the larger sizes 1820 2022, maybe they're doing a, a an elite almond pack, and they're willing to pay a premium for that size and that high quality product. 25, 27, 27, 30s, some of your mid-size right where it's bulking out. You know, you guys will see that a lot in your snack packs in the supermarkets around. It's a cheaper price point than the larger sizes, but yet though, it's still a good almond. It's nice, it's light, it's bright, it's got that sweet flavor. And so, but there's a, a price concession there that is attractive so that everyone could afford almonds.
0: And I guess to your point, that's because... I'm asking you is that because that's where the majority of the s- sizes occur is kind of in that mid-range It's kind of like it's like a bell curve where the smallest sizes there's going to be less of the biggest sizes there's going to be less of but your mid sizes that's the bulk
1: yeah yeah so usually and, and your crop size usually dictates that but uh last year anything larger than a 20 with big crop anything larger than 25 27 was almost impossible to get. We had a lot of customers adjusting their 23-25 specs and larger down to the 25 27 just because they didn't want to pay the $0.25, $0.30 cent premium between the midsize and their normal spec. So it's supply and demand on those sizes.
0: Yeah. So I'm sitting here thinking, all right, that Instagram perfect almond, we've already determined that there's less of it because of the chip and scratch and the different processes that have to get there, but now there's even another parameter here that's in potentially short supply, potentially again raising that price point, and it's the size that perfect, Instagram perfect almond. You're not these small little almonds. I mean, they're the big juicy ones. I mean, it's a visually appealing. Like, I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's the image that I have. So,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so that that's, I mean, that's like doubly premium.
1: Yeah. And if you think about working with corporate companies and your major rebag companies and everything you look at the shelf, I mean, it's amazing to look at what's done before it hits there. Even working with these companies, they'll say R&D or developing a project is two to three years in advance. So when we work with customers, we always tell them if you could pick three sizes on your specification, you would do yourself well. So you don't lock yourself up into just one size. Maybe you want to go at 3032 to 2527 or something. Just so you just have availability depending on what the different crop years produce.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. Flexibility is key. You don't lock yourself in and get yourself into a corner where you're gonna to have to pay a high premium because that's the only thing you can take. Yeah. Great. So we've sized. We there's a cleaning step through this. So we're done. No,
1: this is when the fun starts. What? Yeah.
0: Okay. All right. We'll explain. What happens <laughs> next?
1: It just depends. We don't uh, produce to the floor here. We produce to customer specifications. And so, as I indicated earlier, the USDA parameters may be or appear to be a little antiquated to some customers, or even us. Let's think about it. If a customer and you're, you're eating snack almonds and it's allowed one and a half serious damage on 44,000 pounds, your consumer could be getting a lot of not so perfect, even ugly, if you will, almonds. So we work with a lot of customers that will use those perimeters as definitions but then they want the serious damage under 1% or they want their split and broken under uh, 1% or chip and scratch 3%. There's just a bunch of variables that the customers now are educated on these perimeters. They look at them, they tell us what they want because they know what they want their almonds to look like. And they're not buying just straight USDA grades. So it's, goes through another process. So if a customer wants product with a lower or serious damage, you know, we choose the application of the further processing to get it to that customer specification before it goes into the final box or bag.
0: Well, and I guess too, just because it's gone through a sizing and in a cleaning run doesn't necessarily mean that it meets a specific grade as well. And there's probably a lot of variance between different bins. So as a customer comes with a, this is what we're looking for, regardless of whether it's a USDA or a custom specification. Now we have our marching orders, right? So I almost kind of see these pre steps kind of giving us building blocks which to grab and to, to put together the specification that a, a given customer is looking for. I mean, do, is it my understanding that right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's my goal to do as minimal processing as we can, but obviously after the sizer, it's got to go through at least one more step because we'll put it through an x-ray, it does another form, material sort, some variable different equipment that accomplishes all this. But with that information from QCIFI going right into our operation system, I just do a sort in our operation system and try to figure out where are we at with this product that meets this. And that's why at Select Harvest, we have to sell everything from the very high end to the low end because we do get all grades and issues with almonds.
0: So I'm kind of trying to think this through. If you have bins, are you selecting, like, let's just pick a, you've mentioned a Supreme already. Uh, Let's just say we're doing a Supreme and we mentioned size. Let's say, you know, a 2730 and just pick a variety, it doesn't matter. And so non-Pirell parel 2730 Supreme. Are you selecting bins that already meet that or do you have some leeway? And I guess what I'm getting at is, is that next process, is it helping you to enhance the product or is it really just to kind of pack it? What's happening in that next step?
1: Uh, We're enhancing the product. I mean, you're still going to do further sorts for your white on the almonds, split and broken chip and scratch and do a final I guess if you will like a final cleaning I mean you got to make sure the floor material and all of that equipment takes that out you have the x-ray magnets but yeah I mean when I pick the inventory to go in to these uh, specific orders I'm hoping that it meets it because the goal is not to send the customer the exact specification the goal is to ship a good quality food safe product and that's what we're aiming for
0: so let's talk food safe, just one thing. Where in, where in this process are there food safety checks and balances, and how do we ensure that we are providing a safe product?
1: There's food safety processes throughout everything. Um, we run an intense HACCP program, SQF, along with a quality certification on our SQF. And what that does is it subjects you as a company to third-party audit from the beginning of your process, your whole supply chain. So we have strict guidelines, critical control points from the receiving process that are reviewed all the way until it's loaded in the container and out the door. And we have to not only have SOPs and training guidelines for all of our employees that were doing this, it's all subject to audit. If you ask any part along the way, I will tell you what the controls are in place to that process. I mean, our QC and our food safety department is a very big department, Alan.
0: Well, and of course, I I do know that. And I wanted to give them credit for what they do.
1: It's kind of like the people behind the stage that set the characters up for success, if you will.
0: Yeah. And when we started this whole thing with what we do is really the out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. You know, Mm -hmm. if, if you aren't familiar with the complexities of the industry and what we're doing, you see harvest, you see it goes to a facility and you might really, and again, that's our holer and sheller, but you might think we're done. That, that's it. And not only is it really complex what needs to happen thereafter to, to actually supply the almond that the various markets and customers are looking for, but It's a year round job.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, and I don't want to age myself, but if you look back 30 years ago, uh, when I entered into this industry and where it is now and how it's evolved with FISMA and everything, the requirements is just, I don't know, it's quadrupled. And I think it's best said 30 years ago, you would say that you're a you're a handler Processor and I, we're more than that now. You are a food processing company. We are looked at that way, and there, and it's it's a whole game changer. There's a lot that goes into that.
0: Well, and then uh, of course, once the almonds get to their destination, there's there's a lot more steps. I mean, if it goes to our retail site and we're putting it into a bag, there's a whole another process. If it goes to another customer, there, of course, doing their thing. And I hope that kind of. That little nugget there makes you makes you hungry for some almonds because you can go on to SelectHarvestAlmondSnacks.com and order your own almonds. But before we do that, Cheryl, thank you so much for joining us. I really do appreciate all of this. Um, it was a pleasure having you on.
1: We are passionate about what we do, and it, I'm happy to share it.
0: We'll look for another opportunity to get uh, you and or uh, some of your team on would love to pick your brain about the different markets and what they're looking for. It was clear that you have a lot of experience and, and uh, knowledge in doing that. Um, and I just want to highlight, you know, that, that you are while you are the chief operating officer and really oversee everything from that, that we just went through from the grower um, receipts all the way up to getting that onto a container to our customer. You you are also engaged with the customers when you need to be and are, are, are a resource for that team to help put things into context and to work through those specifications that the that the customer is looking for. And we know you do a lot over there, Cheryl, and uh, thank you for the, all the hard work. Ah, thank you. So again, appreciate it. Go on to SelectHarvestAlmondSnacks.com and get your almonds, satiate your nutaholic cravings, Follow us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram as well as LinkedIn. And uh, you can find all of our market updates and notifications for um, the podcast episodes here. And uh, Cheryl, as a send-off to us, can you remind our listeners what the name of the show is? The Nut News. The Nut News. Thanks for listening.